Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Son of a Ginger, a new little format we're deciding to go on, which is our monthly music roundup coming out at the end of every month. For this first monthly music roundup, who are we reviewing? We got three albums on deck, all three albums that we've, uh, I guess, kind of been digging in November, digging and listening to, and that is Delta from Mumford & Sons, released November 16th. Oxnard from Anderson Pack, released November 16th as well. And Anthem of the Peaceful Army by Greta Van Fleet, released, I believe, October 21st, October something or the other, in 2018 as well. So, some real fall tunes we got. The leaves are falling and so is the rock. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty diverse group of albums here, a little three-piece. Ties them all together is that they're all respectively known for taking classic sounds and sounds from uh, past genres and sort of bringing them forward in a way. Uh, Anderson Pack with funk and soul, blending that with rap and current R&B. Yeah, at least that's where he's going now. But yeah, he comes from those funk and soul and R&B roots, right? Uh, yeah. Mumford, who, yeah, the, the folk band that made folk cool in the 2010s decade, I'd say. I remember we were passing around copied CDs of Sino More when we were freshmen. So good times there. And then good old Greta Van Fleet, new band on the track. Sounds a little too like Led Zeppelin, but we'll talk about that later too. So, you know, each one of these bands is sort of paving their own way in the music industry right now, uh, all for different reasons. We can kind of get a glimpse into what's going on with the current state of music by reviewing these three albums. So why don't we just dive right into it and start. Yeah, I think we will. So yeah, first on deck, we got Delta from Mumford & Sons. It is Mumford's fourth full-length studio album. Our most recent music from them back in uh, 2016 with their uh, Johannesburg EP, where they went to South Africa and got really inspired. So, But now they're back. I think they got some perspective from that and then their other last full-length album, Wilder Mind. And they have, I don't want to say a new sound because we hear some old stuff, but they use so many new instruments that I never heard thought I would hear it on Mumford Record. You know, some banjos came back, but then we got some some 808s and some keys and like some synths that Ben Lovett, Ben Lovett, yeah, the uh, the keyboardist just finally found on his keyboard and be like, oh, look, look what else this can do. All right. Oh, Marcus, come here. Get over here. Let's make a record. Marcus, stop writing music for your movies and come make an album with us. <laughs> he sounds like Junkrat from... Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. From, from Overwatch. Overwatch. Junkrat. Yeah, although, I'm pretty sure Junkrat's Australian. But I know, I'm saying your English accent's bad, mate. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they sort of announced very publicly that with their third album, Wilder Mind, they would be changing their sound. They'd be moving away from the folk rock, you know, the boot-stomping, loud banjos sort of hole that they dug themselves in. As much as I love that sound, I I can admit that creatively, it's kind of constricting. Sure. There's not much room to add a drum kit. There's not much room to add a synth. There's not much room to start adding those things. Uh, And so I was very intrigued when they first announced that they would be changing their sound and taking influences from acts that they grew up liking, like Radiohead and Coldplay. But I have to say, like with Wilder Mind, I was pretty disappointed. It sort of just seemed like with changing their sound, they ran the risk of getting rid of what made them unique in the first place. So, you know, they, they kind of put themselves between a rock and a hard place in that regard. 
That's a great song from the band The Vinyl Sons from Athens. Free plug. <laughs> Free plug. All right. Um, uh, go listen to their stuff on Spotify and give them a third of a cent. Yeah. So, yeah, because they were in such a rock and a hard place, this album, I think, I think gets them out of it because, you know, this album, I'd say they tr- did their best to pull out all the stops. They got the best producer literally in town or in all of the country in being uh, Paul Epworth, known for two of... Adele's most recent records, 21 and 25. 21 is possibly one of the biggest albums of the last 25 years, I'd say. He worked on Rolling in the Deep. Uh, He also worked with Florence and the Machine and Rihanna. And so you can kind of tell that Mumford are taking a step towards mainstream, uh, contemporary music, trying to hit the radio waves a little more and trying to appeal to a wider audience. And they had a lot to prove with this album uh, because Wilder Mind was met with mixed reception see i liked wilder mine i thought the sounds and the beats and stuff like that i i vibe with those things because uh that was produced by the guy that produced like all the nationals records i can't think of his name right now but like literally like just like the the drum beats you know like it had like an 80s sound and then like modern i feel like the biggest criticism of wilder mind and something that maybe mumford tried to be wary of in making this record is that it was too much of a departure from what they had established themselves as and they alienated their base because of it yeah yeah and you yeah you could definitely say that because i know mumford fans that is why they listened to mumford was they just love those boot stopping acoustic guitar melodies and the you know uh, uh, that was our attempt at a Mumford harmony. Yeah, so uh, Mumford, if you y'all need some openers, <laughs> we know you're in Atlanta in March. But yeah, so they dropped this album Delta, and I feel like they had a lot to prove with this one. I was definitely intrigued, ready to see what they had recorded with this uh, producer that has made so many seminal records. And I think overall, I was, I still felt the same way. I did about Wilder Mind. Yeah. I think I, I'd, I'd probably put them on the same level in terms of how much I enjoyed them, but I did see them making more strides to sort of be a mixture of their old sound and what they had established with Wilder Mind, which I respect and commend them for doing that. I've been interested with this album way more because of the stark dynamic differences between some of the songs. This reminds me a little bit of the... When we talked uh, Taylor Swift's album last year, we don't have as much information as that one, but I think with this one, just off the dome, I'm thinking that there's some that the label wanted, and then there's still some that like Mumford wanted or wanted to make sure that were in there to have their roots. Wild Heart was one that just sounded like it could be made in any Mumford era, especially those earlier ones. Like it sounded like something off Sino more. You have songs like Picture You, uh, I think maybe Woman. There are a lot that had those synth heavy ones or 808 heavy ones and it just made me wondered is this mumford who, who, who's who are these guys Did yeah, Marcus... you know, so i was listening to this in the car with uh my sister and i was like what do you think what do you think the new mumford and she was like i didn't even realize this was mumford that's the the challenge the creative challenge that mumford and sons have sort of given themselves in reinventing the music right and i think that it works more on this album than on their past effort so the song Forever probably does the best, in my opinion, at taking practically classic, very characteristic of Mumford 
uh, four-part harmonies. OG Mumford. OG Mumford. The OG Mumford four-part harmonies, uh, the very introspective, almost philosophic lyrics from Marcus Mumford. And then they took it and mixed it with a nice swelling vocoder vocal part. Yeah. And I, I really did enjoy that. I thought that it was sort of the, it was the perfect way for them to take their roots and push it in this new direction. And that's what I really just wanted to see more of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they were conscious in doing that because honestly, vocoders are cool, man. Yeah, they are cool. Like I, I yeah, have, I, a, I dig me some Daft Punk. Yeah, I have a little just like vocoder app on my phone uh, called Vox Synth. I'm just plugging away today. But yeah, like that, that's just fun to play around with, though. Even you know, I could say Wallaby. Maybe be like Wallaby, Wallaby. <laughs> exactly. I would also want to talk about the closing track, which is another one that I felt was titled Delta. Titled Delta. Uh, titled of the album. It's a little bit of a six-minute swelling ballad. Of sorts. It was a very, very good closer, strong closer to the album. If you take into consideration what a delta is, a river delta, think of it in terms of math and business when it stands for change. Mm. Uh, so, you know, someone will say, what's the delta on that? They mean the change, the percent change, that kind of thing. So they're, they're being self-referential in the title in saying, this is the delta, this is the change. We're doing what we want. Yeah, and I think that's why it's their title track as well, you know. And yeah, the album covers also the... I mean, it's just them walking around, but like it looks like it's them at a crossroads or a Delta necessarily, you know. Mm -hmm. Or it's them getting off of a Delta flight, and they did this so they could just get a lot of cheap airline tickets. Delta. Again, we want sponsors. (laughs) Let's go, Delta. Give us some money. Give us some damn money. Money. When I think the changes, I think I saw that on a song like uh, Woman, which was cool. And I think I appreciated the song because, you know, in my like songwriting or just messing around the guitar or on the bass, like gotten at least like that song. And it's like, it's cool to like see it finished of like, I think that entire song, it just goes from a seventh back to like an eighth on like, yeah. a, on, like a major scale. And I don't know, there's something like oddly like, it's just, yeah, a nice familiar thing. It'll make it warm by the fire, you know. You can build things around it. You can build a warm home by the fire. Like, I feel like every time there's something impressive like that on this album, the next track comes by and it sounds like something that they want to be a top 40 track. Yes. And so, like, you'll, you'll hear something and you'll be like, wow, this is, this is impressive. I, like, you know, they're, they're sort of coming into their own on this one. And then next track comes up and it's like, oh, well, this sounds just like every other radio band. They're walking this line between popularity and artistry that makes the album ultimately feel disjointed. They, they kind of didn't pick, or maybe they did pick, and that's why we have 14 songs, you know, when all the hip-hop records coming out is just seven. So not necessarily getting a double album, but we're getting a big old hefty one, you know, to where they can kind of have, all right, cool, we love these seven. Cool, the label loves these seven. Great, 14-track album. Swipe our hands off and call it a day. Great. What are, of those ones, uh, what are some of the songs, if you can remember, that like stuck out to you that made you just go, eh. Picture You is the perfect example of a song that seems like it's totally just meant to be played on the radio and meant to be appealing to the most amount of ears possible. I think Mumford are at their strongest when they march to the beat of their own drum. They got popularity organically, and they could certainly do it again, and it doesn't seem genuine to sort of be pandering to the top 40. 
yeah. by making these songs. So that that's where I take points off of the album. And I think it's one of those things where it's just it's smart music business to do so. You know? Exactly. Just throw, I mean, 14 songs, throw what sticks, especially now in the Spotify age. You know, of, of course, you know, they have singles, but you and I have singles. You know what I mean? You and I have our favorites, and so does Susie Q that just listened to a Sean Mendes song. And I remember you saying either it was this or another one that sounded like a Sean Mendes song. Right. And you want those algorithms to play this after the, that Sean Mendes song. You know, I'm I'm much more of a fan of concise cohesive projects. Me too. And so that you know like I said that's where I'll take points away from this album. Mm-hmm. Uh leaving this album, I felt like it was an ultimately forgettable experience. Yeah. Uh I don't think that I'm going to be adding this to playlists, playing it at get-togethers, but it had its moments. It had its times where it shined. I think with this one, and I'm just comparing it to the other Mumford albums, this one won't be as important to me. And I think that could just be for the reason of, I've heard that your favorite albums or your favorite music will be like things that you listen to in high school. So again, that just could be convenient for me. Because I love those two albums that came out while we were in high school in 2009 and 2011. I like my OG Mumford and I've liked where they've gone. But yeah, like nothing's too important either or sticks out for me. You know, after maybe a couple more listens, maybe like that's where I'll kind of finally find those gems of like, oh yeah, track six, oh yeah, track eleven. Those are my those are my jams. But otherwise, it's all kind of still a big behemoth of just a big collection of music for me. I don't have any couple of standout songs other than maybe like the couple of that I mentioned earlier. So there's Delta. Now it's time to move on to good old buddy of mine, Anderson Pack. Time for some more change. Best smile in the game. Most charismatic rapper singer drummer personality if he's the best has the best smile in the game then who's his orthodontist new plugs man we got to plug in them all today it's time to talk about jackson orthodontics jackson orthodontics out in oxnard san diego and los angeles it's got all your orthodontic needs jackson orthodontics call today so if any of y'all are actual sponsors that's how i can announce that sponsorship this this podcast is also an audition for all of our potential sponsors. I hope you guys know. You know we're we're trying to we're trying to get a bag here. Oxnard, the second signed album from California hip hop protege Anderson Pack. Yeah, I mean he and he really is a slash of everything. He's not just hip hop. Yeah. He's and he's he's really he really really had to grind to get where he is today he's he's in his mid 30s he's got his wife he's got a wife and a kid he spent a lot of time being a marijuana trimmer last effort malibu was one of my favorite albums and he was one of my favorite artists of last year 2017 when i when i sort of came upon his music and what i loved about malibu was that it was from start to finish it was good music it was and he had everything he had slow songs he had bangers like he didn't have bangers but he had songs that you could get up and dance to he had songs that were a little bit uh like vibey yeah and so you know and he, he said that that was the philosophy going into malibu was you know let's just let's just make some music that that no matter who you are in terms of like we were just talking about mumford doing the same i think malibu really really achieved that tons of themes of love and struggle and overcoming adversity and things that it broad topics that everyone can relate to right oxnard to me seems much more personal he gets much more political uh mm-hmm. it's the album's obviously named after his hometown 
And he sort of falls into this character on this album of himself living and being in his own life in Oxnard. Maybe growing up, maybe, you know, 10 years ago. But he sort of, he falls into this swagger and gravitas. He does a lot more rapping on the album, and that could be attributed to the fact that this is his first album produced by Dr. Dre, who is the one who discovered him. Yeah. He sort of discovered him. Yeah. Discovered him and featured him heavily on his comeback album. They've sort of been working together, developing a craft, and Dre's been able to in- introduce him to Kendrick and introduce him to Chance the Rapper. Yeah, all and- the other heavy hitters of both not only the L.A. scene, but the, yeah, the scene in all the West Coast. Right. Dr. Dre really does have a penchant for taking these artists he's found and highlighting their talents and just throwing them out into the world, right? And so this is what, that's what Oxnard is. Come right out and say the song Six Summers. You can tell that this album was meant to come out in the summer. Oh, yeah. And I really wish it had because it, it seems like a great album to be blasting yeah. with the windows down. Hard to do that in November. Yeah, it's hard to do that in November, especially here. At least with the weather that it decides to be this week, which is cold. This whole album is stacked with features from J. Cole to BJ the Chicago Kid to Snoop Dogg to Dr. Dre himself. Q-Tip. And Q-Tip especially. Yeah, Q-Tip's a very good one. He's a member of a tribe called Quest. He had one of the best verses on the album. Mm -hmm. I really think that the the OG rap guys on this project really shine and the newer ones sort of fall by the wayside with the exception of j cole who's you know yeah in my opinion always good across the board and here's why i dig this album so you talk og rap guys that that's the dna of this album that was just enjoyable to listen to i don't like listen to most of the the rap that kids are listening to these days uh, i like to listen to my jazz records and nothing else and I listened to most of this album, too, while driving, and it reminded me a lot of the songs you listen to on Grand Theft Auto Five on, like, one of those cruising stations. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. A lot of those cruising stations had OG rap from Snoop Dogg, Dre, Ice Cube, you know? So this one definitely has those West Coast vibes, but, I mean, musically, it just doesn't have random ad-libs in a triplet form. You know, it has verses and instrumentation and actual musicianship that we don't see in hip-hop anymore at least not yes. as prevalent exactly and i think that's one of the best things about anderson pack that he brings into his music is that he can take rap and take these sort of mainstays of current rap and apply them to a song that has multi-instrumental production live instruments in a studio not drum machines and all that kind of stuff yeah you can hear a hundred songs that are super popular today that were just made with FL Studio. Yeah. And now Anderson Pack comes in with music that's just as good. Uh, Bubbling, which isn't on this album, but it was a summer track, did not make it on the album. No, Tense is, but... Tense is. Which is fun. That's Tense, a fun one. Tense is like a great example of Anderson Pack's strength, strengths with funk music and how he's bringing that forward into rap. I think overall, he's just doing his own thing and his own thing is taking rap and spinning it on its head and turning it into something that's new and fresh has California running through its veins. California. And I think in general, just with his talent, I think with any of the songs on here, you can tell, and also didn't realize, uh, 
Dre, Dr. Dre produces about half of it. Anderson packed the other half. According okay. to Wikipedia, at least. Like a song selector. They pick what they want. Mm-hmm. I know. So Dr. Dre did the master. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and that's why it took so long to come out. So because he kept saying, I need to change this. I need to do this. I need to do that. Mm. And uh, he kept delaying it. But you know, Dr. Dre is going to get what he wants. Gotcha. And it, you, like, you just got to respect that Dr. Dre knows what he's doing because he's proven time and time, and time again that he does. Oh, and he does. Anyway, uh, you can tell, though, in general with any of the songs that Anderson Pack is a drummer. Yes. And he has rhythm in that drummer as opposed to, you know, if you were to listen to, I don't know, Amigos or any, any of the other people. Amigos are a good group, but they're the first that come to mind. So sorry, Amigos. You know, they just go do, 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 probably make think of on a drum pad, you know, which is a little bit easier to do. You know, you just need to have some kind of rhythm, but to then be able to do that, something else in the drums where, you know, you're using both hands, possibly both your feet, it just adds to that whole difference mm-hmm. that you can do. You know what I mean? Rap in itself has a cadence. So the syllables of a rap verse can be drummed out on a snare. Approaching rap with that perspective, being a very, very good drummer like Anderson Pack is, he can really dance around a beat well. While we dance to the beat. Exactly. Tince is definitely a good example of this. And he and Kendrick have really good chemistry on the song. They don't play off of each other, but they it starts with an Anderson verse, then it goes to Kendrick, then it's back to Anderson. And it's it's just this great groove. Six Summers comes in, and you hear this sort of banging in-your-face thing, and it's all about how kind of screwed up things are right now. The song's going to bang for six summers, but nothing's going to change for three summers at least, and that kind of thing. And then it, it gets more sentimental as the song goes on. It gets <laughs> you, you have a bass line that comes in that sort of pushes you into the, the more introspective side of the, the album. So Six Summers, I think, was a brilliant song. Yeah, as we talk about songs that we dug, you mentioned my two favorites. Uh, I think I also just enjoyed left to right because i don't know there's something simple to it and then it just reminded me of where i first heard anderson pack i believe which was just on the soundtrack of madden or something like that and just sounds like one of those songs like i'd be totally fine with hearing like every day or every other day in like a the short snippets or however ea sports does it with madden yeah i don't know like yeah i think my overall thing with this album is just it's cool to listen to cool to drive to man cool to just bop around to and i think with every listen, you get something new out of it. You have to give it multiple listens yeah, uh, to sort of pick up on everything that's really going on. But another thing that I really want to commend this album for, I know I'm, I'm only praising it, but I really, really did love yeah. it. Yeah, what do you um, hate about it, Mason? Um, Nothing. So, like, the the beginning, it's, it starts with uh, The Chase featuring Kaja Bonet, Headlow featuring Norell, Tints featuring Kendrick Lamar, and then a couple songs that have no features. Uh, and then it comes in with Mansa Musa, which reminded me a lot of King Kunta off of To Pimp a Butterfly. Ooh. Uh, which are like two tracks that are steeped in black history, comparing that to the struggle of the contemporary African American. Yeah. And then he just said, he says, all right, so. Anderson Pack and Dr. Dre are basically like, so yeah, we, we've given you the feel of this album. Now it's time to show you the real California. And they, then it starts with Mansa Musa, Brothers Keeper, Push, featuring Pusha T, Anywhere, featuring Snoop Dogg. That song literally sounds like it was made for Snoop Dogg. Mm-hmm. Love it. Probably one of the best Snoop Dogg verses I've heard in a while. It, like It's literally right off of uh, Dog Pound. Yeah. Right? 
Trippy featuring J. Cole. I mean, J. Cole's not from California, but takes inspirations from that style, right? This is high praise, but he assumes like Californianism like Tupac does, I'd say, because Tupac, I forget, is a New York guy. Yeah, he's from New York. Yeah, so, yeah, and I know what you mean. I guess I didn't pay attention to it, but I'll politely not and agree with you in that, yeah, it it got into not, I wouldn't say like a concept album territory, as To Pimp a Butterfly did, because that one started off out the gate concept album. But, yeah, they ease us into it. They show us the singles, they show us the songs to dance to, and it's like, oh, okay, cool, now that we got you, here's the message. Mm-hmm. And it like it's he's basically just like you know you've heard of L.A. you've heard of San Francisco but here we're gonna talk about Oxnard. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You've never heard of Oxnard. What's Oxnard? Well, let's show you. This album, like Oxnard, the town is sort of this project that sits on the outskirts of mainstream rap that is really at the core of what makes rap good. So with that, having a clear direction may not always be a good thing. Which is why we should talk about our next band on our list of albums to talk about, which is Greta Van Fleet and their album Anthem of the Peaceful Army, which sounds like a great rock opera. A great rock opera. And these guys are also from a random ass suburb from Michigan. Frankenmuth. No, you've been there before, right, Mason? Frankenmuth. Frankenmuth. That sounds like like a stop motion tim burton movie yeah about a moose but he has a lisp so <laughs> he's frankenmuth <laughs> what's up guys i'm frankenmuth <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty scary aren't i i'm pretty scary uh but what isn't scary is i guess the music in this album from these first time rockers this is their first time full-length album they've had singles and eps that kind of dipped our toes into their sound to kind of get that all right these guys sound a lot like Led Zeppelin. And that's probably the first thing that you've heard about this band. This is the first thing I did hear about this band. I've heard their name, never knew who they were. And then I think my dad sent me a link to them. Oh, really? In the most Don Baylor way ever. Of just, yeah, I hey, think, listen to these guys. I think our roommate was like, hey, have you heard of this band, Greta Van Fleet? And I was like, no, they sound sounds interesting. And he was like, they are literally Led Zeppelin, but current. Yeah, but literally Led Zeppelin current. There are some songs off this album that you throw that on like a playlist with a bunch of Led Zeppelin songs and then like find one Greta Van Fleet song in there. I probably, like if I'm just casually listening, I wouldn't know it. I'd be tricked. At first listen, they strike me as a band that is totally a singles band. You listen to one of their songs and you're like, wow, this rocks. Yeah. And then you're like, maybe I, I should listen to this album. And then you listen to the album and all of the songs sound like everything that came before it, and you realize, oh, you know, I could just go back and listen to some Led Zeppelin and some ACDC and some Rush instead of listening to these guys. You know what I mean? Like, and I could, I haven't listened to all of Rush's catalog. Why don't I just go back and listen to Rush? At least then you know that it was, there's a little bit more personality behind the music. Yeah, and we can get into the, the, I guess, the personality of these guys the music's good, but like we just watched like an interview from Coachella. Like they seem like they exist to just be a rock band, and they'll do whatever they can to do that, including like I don't know, maybe not necessarily being themselves. Because also in our research, uh, we found out they played uh, one of Elton John's parties at his personal request, and then he gave them the advice to, "Hey, you guys should dress a little bit more flamboyantly and get really get into the rock and roll spirit." Yeah, and he told them to fall into that rock and roll persona a little more which in and of itself is not a bad thing 
act the part. You got to look the part. You know, you can't all walk up and look like look like us with our jeans and t-shirts. Yeah. Like that's a little bit boring. But then to wear like I don't know the turquoise hats and the it's basically something that I feel like I would see on a ant from Arizona. A lot of scarves. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, if anyone has an ant that lives out in Arizona, ask her what she's what she wears normally. I bet it's what these something guys wear too. Could, something you could buy in a gift shop in New Mexico. The, yeah, exactly. It's a weird, weird feeling trying to come up with an opinion on this band. For me, I want to say that I like them because they're putting out music, new music that's in a genre that many have considered dead for almost two decades. Mm -hmm. It sort of feels like that they said, hey, you know, there's this void, this rock and roll void right now. You know, all we're getting is Imagine Dragons and Young the Giant. Hey, don't knock Young the Giant. I, I, no, I love Young the Giant. And I, I loved Imagine Dragons' first album, but they're not rock and roll. No, not at all. It seems like these guys, these very talented guys, three brothers and a friend, were just like, hey, you know, there's there's no rock and roll around right now. You're good at guitar. You're good at drums. You've got a killer singing voice. Why don't we just start making some rock and roll? Yeah. And it seems disingenuous to rock and roll to just have it be making rock and roll because there's no rock and roll around right now. I appreciate the effort, though, because, yeah, of other rock and roll bands, you know, we got bands that only show up during album cycles. Otherwise, they're not culturally doing anything, you know. Black Keys are like a rock band, for example. They only show up every like three or four years, though. Jack White doesn't make good music anymore, honestly. Sorry, Jack. I don't know. And then Foo Fighters are the only other one, and they have a sound to where now, you know, they're almost a classic rock band in, in themselves, you know. Right. We, we don't have a new sound and still don't have a new sound with these guys, but I guess it's good to have a new sound to a new generation because there are some people that don't know what Led Zeppelin is. They think it's a company that sells, I don't know, shoes. They're that band that their dad wears the t-shirt on Saturdays when he mows the lawn. There are plenty of people out there, the people who are the tastemakers right now. You know, the younger generations are going to be informing what's popular in a few years. They're so far removed from Led Zeppelin and that sort of era of rock and roll that this sound is completely foreign to them. They're bringing that forward and it's... It's smart. It's a smart thing to do, and you want to credit them for keeping rock and roll alive. But then you dive into the music itself, it seems so surface level. It doesn't seem like it's inspired by anything. It seems like it's inspired by the need to create rock and roll because there's nothing. Yeah. Or there's no rock and roll around right now. And honestly, if you want, we can pull up like one of their lyrics because, I mean, with all of their songs, love the instrumentation of it. Musically, it sounds great. Guitars sound good, drums sound good, the dude's voice kick ass. And I think uh, the singer, like he says, like, oh yeah, he writes poetry. But there's that line of poetry and then just uh, cheese ball McGee, you know? I'm going to use some big words, but it's pretentious pontification. Ooh. Spewing out all these platitudes. Yeah. In a, in a, uh, in, in lyric form, song lyric form. There's no, like, Tom Sawyer by Rush, right? The classic rock song. It's got this sort of, allegory to the, the Mark Twain book in that way is referencing classic literature and doing all these things. You don't see any of that, but you see echoes of that. You see attempts at that. Yeah. 
it's weird because you want to call this band good, but at the end of the day, like it's all style, no substance. Yeah. So like one song I think you and I talked about beforehand, like lyrics wise that just like, yeah, seemed like that pontification. What was it? Watching over. Right. Yeah. Let me just read the first line. Many long years amongst the trees, many long years in the ground to be with one that's never seen the one that stands and watches over. Later on, I wonder when we'll realize that this is all we got left, and it's our demise. With the water rising and the air so thin, still the children smiling. Can we see no sin? Can you see any sin, Mason? Can you see any sin in the songwriting? I just, I feel like this person read a lot of Edgar Allan Poe. You know what I mean? And was like, oh, yeah, so all I have to do is just be very vague with everything I say and very obtuse with my lyrics. Right. When in actuality, what you want is something direct, something that's as direct as the instrumentation. It's weird because I you, like I can think of bands that do that, that are much better than this band. It's, it's hard to put my finger on what I don't like about them, although I've, I've sort of already explained it. What you don't like is maybe they're not necessarily posers, but you feel like they're almost trying to be like, but not even. Yeah, it, it feels like they're posers, but then they back it up with talent. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, maybe I should give them a chance. And then you listen to the album and you're like, well, they're all really good. They're all really good at, at their instruments. And it, this dude is like a killer singer. He sounds like Geddy Lee and Robert Plant had a baby you're still left sort of unsatisfied with the final product. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe on the music part, it just could be something that, you know, we're not maybe reading through. These songs, uh, they kind of threw out their scrapbook of songs that they had been working on the last couple of years and just try to do a whole new approach. So if you're just writing lyrics just in a two-week span in a studio, might not be the most inspired. And also, they're young. They're our age, if not younger. They just might need some more perspective for lyrics. They, they've established... A sound. They've established a world to play in. Yeah. And so, yeah, it does make me optimistic for future projects, right? I think, yeah. So what I'm excited for as they grow is that they'll figure out their lyrics, that they can improve upon them. And I think just in general, I think they'll be important in keeping uh, rock and roll alive in the sense that how jazz is alive, at least. You know, there's still Mm -hmm. jazz music, like isn't selling out crowds or anything, but... There's still jazz fans and there's still new jazz fans. I would like for there to be big new rock and roll fans, but sadly, I think just how music business is going and everything else and what people want to listen to, it's not happening. You know, In the same way that Michael Buble and Tony Bennett still put out platinum records. Totally. You know what I mean? And like they, they sing show tunes. It's still great music. Everyone knows it's great music. It should stick around. And so, you know, the, the public responds to that. And you always see artists hitting their stride at their second or third album. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I'm optimistic about the future for this band as I start to finish album. I'm not completely sold on their rock and roll roots. They do rock and roll, though, and I think they can willpower through it. I got to see them live uh, at Austin City Limits Festival uh, about two months ago now, back back in October, and they're a band that is great live. And at a big venue like that of just a big festival venue everyone popping around and i saw people like turn around like they're like maybe in the middle and be like oh hey what's that sound what's let's go on over there tex and however other texas people sound like i would imagine that walking past their stage and hearing that 
you're going to gravitate towards it. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, what is that? What are those guys? Like, is Led Zeppelin playing over there? I was briefly transported back in time to where I've seen those old videos of old festival performances from bands like Skinnerd and Aerosmith. And just like, I saw everyone excited singing along. It was a nice sunny day wagging their long hair around and I don't know, it just, it had a nice classic vibe to it. And that was cool. You know, that is where the merit of this band really shines through in that they're giving us people who didn't grow up in that era, people who sit, sit around and talk about how awesome it would have been to be at Woodstock. Greta Van Fleet are allowing us the opportunities to experience new versions of these things that have already come to pass. Things are coming to pass. I hope rock and roll doesn't come to pass. Speaking of coming to pass, this episode's coming to pass. This episode is about to come to pass. Uh, Before we come to pass, Mr. Mason, how can our listeners listen to this and pass it along to their friends? You can listen to it and pass it along with your friends via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, and Stitcher. Look at all those. So many places. Every place you could possibly imagine. If you don't have one of those, go get a smartphone because you obviously just have a flip phone. So many passables. Well, with that, my rocker friend, Mr. Mason Moreau, I've been Patrick Baylor. I've been Mason Moreau. Happy rocking and rolling, kiddos.